like to invite you to a soul level encounter. Music has an incredible ability to proclaim the soul's language beyond what mere words can speak. That's what we seek as we invite our guests to share their song of the soul. You will hear the music that has charted the steps of their spiritual journey, that has provided a touchstone in the soul's dark night and sung the heart's awe and joy when come to the light. Over the next hour, you will be a witness and companion to our guests' spiritual path and sacred testimony. Welcome to Song of the Soul. Listeners, you've had the good fortune to tune in today when my guest is none other than Tracy Grammer. For a brief but brilliant period at the end of the 1990s, Tracy Grammer and Dave Carter were a folk duo second to none. In the decade following Dave's passing, Tracy has kept up a lively and rich stream of music pouring out to us. If you don't know their music, you're missing out big time. Notably, their song, Gentle Arms of Eden, was rated number 75 in the top 100 folk songs of all time, as scored by Folk Alley in 2009. So sit back and listen to a remarkable woman and some truly great music as Tracy Grammer now joins us by phone. Tracy, I'm so very excited to have you here for Song of the Soul. Mark, thanks so much for inviting me to do this interview. I know that you're always touring and doing so many things that it was really hard to actually find a time when we could sit down together. How big of a chore was it to pick out the songs, to limit them to the 25 minutes that I give you for a Song of the Soul? Well, I think it took you and I probably a year to put this interview together. <laughs> so, you know, I could say it took a year. And that's because I was worried, like, oh, if I say that song defines me, you know, what, what does that mean? What about all these other ones that I think are also part of the journey? But, you know, let's face it, every song I sing has something to do with the journey that I'm on. Otherwise, it doesn't feel relevant and I, I don't sing it. But narrowing it down to five for today was a bit of a trick. It took me it took me several hours to really just look at them and think about what might tell the story. Tell me about your story personally with music. When did it start? Were you uh, one of those prodigy singers? Instead of your first word, you say, Mama, you sang Summertime, or what happened? <laughs> yeah, they probably would have enjoyed that, my parents. But no, no, I came out crying like every other baby, cried for a solid three months. Really, violin was my first instrument. I was gifted with a violin. Actually, I, I was loaned a violin when I was nine years old by a woman named Jan Bojikas, who lived down the street from us. As it turned out, up the street from us was another woman named Jan, who was a violin teacher. So it worked out pretty well for me to be in between these two Jans, and they gave me my musical start. Now, in addition to that, my dad played guitars and sang all the time, and we had tons of songbooks around in the house, you know, things like Willie Nelson and Neil Diamond and John Denver and top country hits of the day. And, and a favorite thing for us to do was to sit around on the big old king-size bed, and my dad would play guitar, and me and all the neighborhood kids would gather around, and we'd sing the songs. I mean, I don't know what sounds more folky than that, but that's kind of how music began for me. It was very organic, just in the house, something that we all loved to do together. Well, I know that one of the songs that you picked 
for your Song of the Soul is by Neil Diamond, Solitary Man. Would you like to share that now? Sure, yeah, Solitary Man. <laughs> this is a song that when I play it in the shows, I don't tell people who it's by or, or even the name of the song before I sing it because when you say Neil Diamond to a folk audience, it tends to polarize the audience. You have the Neil haters, <laughs> and then those are like, oh, I love him. But for me, Solitary Man was one of the very first songs that I learned to play on the guitar. It had E minor, the easiest of all possible chords. <laughs> and I loved, you know, that there was a song in this book that my dad would use that I could actually play along to. And so when he wasn't in there, I would sort of sneak into the bedroom and, you know, strum out the chords for Solitary Man and get that book out and read the lyrics. But in addition to being an easy song to play, fairly easy to play, I also was sort of drawn to the idea that a girl could sing a song that a man had written, but not change the gender. I mean, early on, this appealed to me, and I'm not really sure why. But I get a real kick out of seeing what happens when I sing the song, and I don't flip the gender to say I'm looking for one boy who will love me. I just leave it one girl and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> what does happen? What has happened? Well, um... I know that I certainly have some lesbian fans who love that song, but for me, it's just, you know, not that, not that this song defines me or what I'm looking for, except that I do believe in love and I do, you know, and I'm lucky enough to have very recently found a person who, who is the love of my life. And I just couldn't be happier. I mean, I really just could not be happier. And I think, you know, what this song speaks to for me is I'd rather be alone than be in any kind of inauthentic relationship or anything that's less than this ideal that I have in my mind about how things can be. And so having held out for that for a good 44 years now, <laughs> I'm happy to have finally found it and to have had it pay off. But, you know, I think also the artist's journey is a solitary one in many ways. You have to seek out that quiet time to cultivate your muses and sort of churn the events of your life and the events of the day and, and see what you can turn them into. And so the questions of love aside, I am also drawn to this idea of solitude. And so there's a lot going on in this song for me. And it always gives me great joy to play it because there is such a deep story for me. And to other people, it may just seem like, oh, there's that Neil Diamond again. But, you know, maybe that's the magic of music, you know, that it's got something different for each of us. Mine till the time that I found her holding Jim, loving him. Then Sue came along, loved me strong. That's what I thought. Me and Sue, oh, I died too. Done. 
classic song by Neil Diamond, here performed by Tracy Grammer. She's here with us today for Song of the Soul, sharing Solitary Man, or I guess Solitary Human in this case. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it, it is a problem sometimes, I think, in our language that we have gender attached to everything. There are languages that don't do that, and I think it makes it a little bit easier because there are misunderstandings or maybe people get put in a specific slot. Has that happened for you, Tracy? Is that this is what a man does? You know, like who plays a banjo? Do women play banjo? Yes, they do. I've had mother banjo on my program for Song of the Soul. But banjo, isn't that a man's job? I don't know. I don't know about that. <laughs> well, I'm afraid that the stereotypes are out there and that fortunately we've been overcoming them one by one. But, you know, a man wearing a dress in public. I mean, there was a time when woman wearing pants in public was, you know, put her in a padded cell. And fortunately, we've gotten past that for women and men still have the limitations, I suppose. But have the stereotypes held you back at all or is it wide open? I don't think they have. I haven't paid too much attention to them, but it's an interesting thing that you bring up about gender because actually in mine and Dave's music, Dave Carter, that is a wonderful songwriter that I worked with from 1996 until his death in 2002, there was an issue with him. Well, a couple of issues, but one, he would often write songs in one gender and then change his mind about it and want to flip the gender. Or maybe he wouldn't flip the gender, but he'd want a different gendered person singing it. So again, this sort of solitary man phenomena happening in our music. Later on in our relationship, I guess it was around 2000, Dave would reveal that he wished to undergo a transition, a gender transition. All of a sudden, you look at the catalog of Dave Carter's music and everything takes a turn if you start to read it with that in mind. And it certainly was a big awakening for me on a personal front, but also on a musical front to see, you know, almost how we can, I don't know if tease gender out of the equation is, is exactly what we wanted to do, but just explore all the different ways things could be sung and all the different meanings that they might have and just see, you know, how deep we could go with, with each of these songs that, that already, just on the surface, were pretty heavy. So one of these songs, the song Gypsy Rose, which I now have released three different recordings of this song, partly because it's such a beautiful song, but also because this gender thing does happen in this song. Dave wrote the song from a man's point of view, talking about a woman that he lost, but still loves and still looks for. Now, during the course of our partnership, Dave said, you know, baby, I really want you to sing that song instead. And I want you to change the gender so that you're singing about a man. Now, the problem I had with that is that in the lyrics, there's a verse that says, On the day that we were wed, up to the altar he was led, lay like a prisoner in my bed, oh, how we shivered. And I thought, hmm, a guy being led up to the altar, that doesn't sound quite right to me. But I went with it, and I, I tried to sing the song. The problem for me with the song was that at the end of the song, the guy dies. And that never felt good to me. And in fact, I couldn't get through the song without crying. And so... This is the one song that I actually refused to sing with Dave while he was alive. After his death, I found it was actually much easier to sing the song, partly because it was so beautiful, partly because it had become my story, that I did have a love that was buried and that I did see his face in blossoming things and that I did sometimes think that I might hear him sing. Now, this year, we released a new album called Little Blue Egg, and it's a 
it's archived recordings by Dave Carter and Tracy Grammer, stuff that I found in the archives in the summer of 2010. And on this recording is a version of Dave singing the song the way that he wrote it. So singing it about a woman that he'd lost. And I really think, you know, there, it's, it's very subtle, but there is a shift. And maybe it's the singer. Maybe it's because that singer, Dave Carter, hadn't lost anyone about whom he was singing. And when I sing it, I have. But either way, many incarnations in that song, Gypsy Rose.
Carter performed by Tracy Grammer, and they performed together for a number of years, made such beautiful music, and continue to make good music. Not just good. That, that's understatement. Little Blue Egg, uh, Tracy, of course I have that. Wow, what? how could you ever have any one recording so loaded down with gems? I, I really love so much on that CD, and I hope my listeners will go out to tracygrammer.com Take a look at Tracy's and Tracy and Dave's work that's out there. So many beautiful songs. And Little Blue Egg, grab it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I was also wondering something about your background. You know, one of the things that stands out for me on Little Blue Egg, there's a few different songs of religious roots. And I have no idea what Dave's background is or what yours is. But, you know, Jesus comes up in there. And while you'll hear that in bluegrass music, perhaps, in folk music, it's considerably less common. Mm-hmm. What's your religious, spiritual background, or maybe what was Dave's? How, how does that come into your music? Well, I think it's a huge part of our music, and I think it's a huge part of why I still sing these songs 10 years after Dave Carter died, because they connect me to spirit, which is a connection that I never had in my life before I met him. Now, Dave Carter grew up with an evangelist mother who was apparently very popular for her healing speeches, but also, you know, spoke in tongues and could be very demonstrative, you know, and, and he inherited some of this gift and I think some of her vision. He also practiced Tibetan Buddhism and on any given day was really, you know, really he would say to me things like, gosh, baby, I, I wish I could be a Mormon. <laughs> but then a week later, you know, wow, you know, the Jewish people really have it going on. And he would just be, he would, he saw something, you know, in in every religion, basically, that he could subscribe to and sort of fold into one big, you know, spiritual practice for himself. I never really had that growing up. We didn't go to church, except when my grandparents came to town from Florida and made us dress up. And, you know, I would hang back while my brother went in for the communion wafer because I was too scared. And I just... 
I don't know, something about church just always kind of freaked me out. But singing these songs and hearing this as a way to connect with something higher, and also just seeing the way that that music has worked in my life as a way to meditate, as a way to connect, as a way to calm certain demons that might be swirling around, as a way to heal people and to bring them together. It's transformed me. I mean, there's there's no other way to put it. I never had any of that kind of feeling of anything before, but it is certainly probably, you know, more than any particular melody that Dave Carter left behind was this access that I now have to that that is the greatest gift that he gave me personally. Really big for me. Sounds like a wonderful gift, yeah. Would you put yourself in the category of spiritual but not religious? Probably so. You know, Joseph Campbell has a quote about religion that I really like. In his mind, religion is a construct that keeps you one step away from God. It (laughs) keeps you always reaching, but never there. And when I think about, you know, probably if I was going to practice something, it would be Buddhism. I mean, that's the closest to my beliefs. And just that we all have this divinity within us. I feel it when I sing. I feel it especially when I sing some of these songs, almost like they're prayers or mantras to me now because I've been doing them for so long. So, yeah, spiritually, yes, but I don't think I could get behind any particular program that said that there was a God somewhere that I couldn't reach or that didn't already live inside of me. I wouldn't subscribe to that. Okay, well, then I think I'll have you come join the Quakers. It works that way. (laughs) Actually, what you should have you do is come up and join us for a Nightingale's weekend, a group of Quakers from Minnesota and Wisconsin get together for a weekend and sing. And just a month or so ago, we were together, and I had them sing together Gentle Arms of Eden, and you should have heard the rousing chorus, all that going on. Oh, beautiful, beautiful music. So you're in Dave's music. I carry it forward in the circles, and it definitely has got a home with the folks I sing with. Well, thank you for that. And I should say, you know, every now and then I do find myself at church for one reason or another. I mean, I've actually gone on just, you know, sort of exploratory missions into churches, just, you know, on a Sunday morning, like, all right, let me go try this one and just see what's happening in there. And church never fails to make me cry. There's something good about it. There's something in there, you know, all these heads pointed in this good direction, or so I imagine, you know, for that hour or the two hours that they're all gathered there is very moving to me. But it's the words, the words <laughs> somehow get in the way of that. But I do love the intention anyway. So I guess music is how I, I reconcile that because as a folk singer, you often find yourself singing in churches, especially Unitarian churches. So somehow it's all working out. <laughs> Well, considering that spirit comes out through music for you, for Song of the Soul, it sounds like it's time for another song. What would you like to share next for Song of the Soul? Well, probably the most spiritual song for me would be The Mountain. Dave wrote this after a dream that he had. He had watched a show featuring the physicist Richard Feynman the night before this dream. Richard Feynman was talking about how everything was composed of waves. And in Dave's dream, he was standing on a grassy hill and there were these waves of grass and he remembered at some point that his mother said that that grace is a given it's not something that you that you can earn not something you have to earn you just have it in the dream he was lifted up off of this mountain by what he thought was grace and at first the feeling was phenomenal it was beautiful he was up there floating and surveying the land and oh isn't this great to be flying and then he started to feel a little sketchy (laughs) up there and a little uncertain and really longed to have 
that grass below his feet again. And so the wind very lovingly sets his bare feet down in this long, flowing, green, cool grass. And he realizes as soon as he touches down that grace is this mountain that he's been standing on all along. Now, when Dave sang this song for me the first time, he often had a habit of writing songs in uh, vocal ranges that he could not himself attain. So, <laughs> so he was singing this in, in a ridiculously high voice. And I, frankly, I couldn't understand most of what he was saying, but he got to the chorus and something clicked with me. And I often wonder, and I need to ask her about this, you know, Joan Baez also sang this song, and I want to know what it was for her that clicked. But the chorus says, I see the mountain, the mountain comes to me. I see the mountain, and that is all I see. And frankly, it didn't matter to me whatever else he had said in the song. I knew this was a good song. I knew this song went deep in me. I loved the focus of that, that no matter what's going on in the world, I have this connection to this thing in the land. You know, I have this connection to something much greater than myself. It's all I see. I'm steady with that. And, of course, over time, now I do know the lyrics. <laughs> it's a beautiful song. I guess some of my favorite lyrics are where he pleads, Miller, take me, and Miller, grind me. Scatter my bones on the wild green tide. Maybe some roving bird will find me over the water we'll ride. I just love that. I love that idea. I was born in a fork-tongued story Raised up by merchants and drugstore liars Now I walk on the See the mountain, the mountain come to me. I see the mountain, and that is all I see. Some poor prophet comes, some find solace, some lay him down in a junkyard bed. Some will chase us and some will call us Gone, gone, gone in a day Gone to the mountain, the mountain come to me I see the mountain and that is all I see
push the pegs back in line If I see the mountain The mountain come to me I see the mountain And that is all I see here by Tracy Grammer for Song of the Soul. You are listening to Song of the Soul, which is the Northern Spirit Radio production. My name is Mark Helpsmeet, your host for this Northern Spirit Radio production. Our website, northernspiritradio.org, with seven years of archives of programs that you can listen to or download. You can get us via iTunes. You can find the schedule on the site where you can listen to us on local radio stations. You also find links to our guests. And today, we are fortunate to have with us Tracy Grammer. Tracy performed with Dave Carter for a number of years, making such oodles of great music that it's still coming out. And you released, as you said, uh, an EP just recently, Join My Love, which includes some music of hers and some music that was recorded by Dave. Is there just piles of archives back there, stuff that didn't make it for previous CDs that you performed together, that you did together? Why is it 10 years after Dave's gone that we first hear Hard to Make It, which is one of those songs that is just so, the poetry, the story, the everything in it is so great. Is this going to go on for another 30 years? <laughs> that would be awesome, but no. <laughs> no, basically what happened, Mark, is that at the time of Dave's death, of course, it was just chaos in my heart. And I didn't really have the wherewithal or the desire to look at our tapes. I, I packed them up very safely and stowed them away. And of course, I you know, it's been 10 years now, and I've moved several times in the last 10 years. So People have asked, where did these come from? Did you find them? Are they like in the vault? And I'm like, no, there's no vault. There's only the U-Haul truck that goes from town to town, wherever I decide to live next. And I was well aware that I had, you know, Rubbermaid tubs full of our old tapes from our home studios. What I didn't know was what was on them. And the reason for that is that Dave and I, during our short career together, which really only spanned four years, it's pretty amazing that we're still talking about this duo because such a long time ago, but things were moving pretty fast and furious for us during our little window of time that we were together. And we would come home and we would, Dave would write songs and we would make these little recordings of them. And then it was back on the road, you know, not a lot of time to reflect on what we had done or, or review it or see if we wanted to use it for something. It was really more like a audio scratch pad. Occasionally we would record something for an album and it, it wouldn't get used. That was the case of songs like Cross of Jesus. I mentioned Joan Baez earlier. There's a couple songs on Little Blue Egg that were actually demos for her consideration when she fell in love with Dave's songwriting and wanted to uh, wanted him to write her some songs to sing. So there's a whole mix of stuff I didn't realize was there. You know, it was there. There actually were binders describing what was in there, but I just never opened them up. In August of 2010, there was a bit of a crisis with the tapes. They were stored in a moldy basement and needed to be digitized before they 
were damaged. And so that's really the project that brought the songs forward, is that I had to listen to everything in real time for the first time in eight years. And it was tremendous. It was just really a, a bittersweet exercise because totally excited to hear Dave's voice singing songs that I'd nearly forgotten, but also heartbreaking to hear Dave's voice singing songs that I'd almost forgotten. So it was a really uh, interesting project. And it just is a happy coincidence that it all should be hatched, so to speak, in this 10-year anniversary of his death. So speaking of tapes, there aren't a lot of tapes of us. I mean, there's a lot of like board tapes and things like that that people might have recorded at shows, but probably the most important tape that we ever had, in addition to these ones that were in my basement, was was one made by a guy named Byron Isaacs, who was going to play bass with us in 2002 at the Falcon Ridge Folk Festival. Byron and his friend George DeVore were both in the Joan Baez band with us when we had the good fortune to tour with her in 2002. And we were going to take those guys to Falcon Ridge with us that year because we thought we were hot stuff and we wanted to take our new friends with us to play as a band. We'd never done that before. So the, actually the night before Dave died, we were rehearsing at Byron's house and we played them this song, Phantom Doll. It was a song that Dave had just finished. A song that, if you look at it, really actually speaks to his whole gender transition. Raggedy Ann came out to play, and in the end you find out Raggedy Andy wrote the song. But really the whole song is about Dave. And right after he died, I mean literally the second, maybe the third thought after I figured out that he was gone and figured out that I was going to be going to Falcon Ridge anyway, even without him, the next thought was, I better call Byron and make sure he's got that tape because that song is so important. As the last one that Dave ever wrote sounds nothing like anything he'd written before. Addresses the gender issue in a very interesting way, I think, although nobody knew about the gender transition. Well, not nobody, but it wasn't known on the folk circuit at the time that he was doing that. Really, it's just an interesting piece of work all around. So I made sure that Byron had the tape and that we got that archived right away. And then, of course, eight years later, I got to the rest of the tapes. So, so Phantom Doll. Raggedy Ann came out to play Kid in a thin disguise against the day Painted a face across the mask Victim of the looking glass Store windows are cruel Mannequin charms outshine her own Running away from her reflection home Hanging her head behind the door Sleeping on the kitchen floor In glorious dreams She walks outside her skin Her face so fine Her waist so thin Her voice like chimes and
junkyard late Tiffany slippers click clack through the rain Riggedy bones and sheer chiffon Dancing on the mayor's lawn In glory streams They glide through gilded rooms The drakes and gravely pale dragons The wasted daughters of Song of the Soul. Tracy Grammer is sharing her wealth of music, the music that she shared with Dave Carter for four years while he's alive and continues to share to this day. Phantom Doll is one of the gems that came out of that. And you know, Tracy, there's something while we're listening to that one of the things that jumped into my realization is you said earlier that Dave writes songs that go far out of his vocal range. He was aspiring even then to the vocal range that he could attain with a few different hormones. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's uh yeah, there were, there was some vocal coaching in play. I was very curious to see how that was going to work out for him, but, or for her as the case may have been, but yeah, that song, you know, and actually what's interesting about the recording that Byron has is that we're singing it in unison, but in octaves because we still hadn't decided which of us was going to sing it. He still thought he might, and I definitely felt like I should. And so, (laughs) you know, I mean, I hate to say I won that one because I didn't really win that one, but I think it's uh, an interesting, I think it's interesting that he even thought he might. It's a tough song to sing, actually, but it's also a lot of fun. Oh, it is a lot of fun. And again, there's so much beauty and creativity. Dave, he's such a wordsmith, and... The images on Little Blue Egg, for instance, when he talks about being, I guess, accosted by a sidewalk siren at the bus stop, Mm. there's so many images in there. And my wife goes, what does that mean? And I go, wow, that's just such a perfect image for me. So maybe it spoke more to me than to my wife, but she loves the music and as soon as she starts singing the song, she knows that there's gold in there. How do you relate to it? How do you relate to words? Having learned the violin from an early age, are you a violinist, by the way, or a fiddler? Oh, I would say a violinist, for sure. 
Okay. But I have a fiddler's heart. Fiddlers, I think, have more fun. All, all the violinists will kill me for saying that. But, you know, fiddling is about dancing, in my mind. Violin is a different animal, in my mind, altogether. It's a little more serious, I think, a little more grounded. It's a little more focused on uniformity. You know, every, all the bows in the orchestra move the same way, but you get a bunch of fiddlers together and nobody cares. <laughs> Everything goes everywhere and it's, a, and it's a mess, but it's a beautiful mess and it's got a certain energy to it. It's very different from what you get in the orchestra, but still, I grew up playing in orchestras, so that's still my mindset. And it's actually one thing that brought Dave and me together because we both came from classical music. So it was interesting to bring our knowledge of that to our arrangements. I mean, probably no one can tell except in a few rare instances, <laughs> but, but we did think that we were doing a sort of chamber folk music, even though maybe at the end of the day, banjo and guitar doesn't really spell chamber. But, you know, in terms of words, well, I was an English major at UC Berkeley, and words, you know, were definitely the thing that drew me to Dave Carter's music. I mean, I recognized instantly that he was talking about things in a way that no one else was. I mean, with a depth, with an intelligence, with a level of poetry that you just didn't hear in most of the singer-songwriters out there. And that he was addressing familiar terrain in unfamiliar ways. I mean, even the song like Tanglewood Tree, which talks about love, not always turning out the way you thought it might, you know, and having these starting off as this beautiful flower, but then becoming quite gnarly at the root, you know, and everything getting all tangled up and very messy. It's a very poetic way of describing a thing that, you know, many of us go through. And he had a gift for that. And he also had a gift for writing from both sides of the gender line, which I think speaks to his journey and could write something like Hard to Make It, where he talks from both sides. He talks from her side as, you know, the sidewalk siren sort of looking to distract this poor guy just waiting for a bus, you know, she wants to take him somewhere else. And, and the way he describes her plight is so compassionate and so beautiful. And the way he describes his response is quite realistic and equally compassionate. And that's one of Dave Carter's lasting gifts and why people are drawn to his music. You haven't written a lot of songs yourself, let's say maybe very few. Is that because you were an English major and the bar is too high? I think it's because I stood next to Dave Carter and the bar is too high. Damn him. <laughs> you know, music comes easily to me. Melodies come, no problem. I have a bazillion songs for my cat that no one will ever hear, but they're quite good. <laughs> <laughs> Lucky cat. Yeah, she's, she's got her own many songs. Melodies come easily. You know, song structure comes easily. Words come easily if I'm just writing prose or if I'm writing, like I've taken a couple of memoir workshops because I had the idea that maybe at some point I would write essays or a book about my time with Dave. All of that comes very easily to me and I really, really enjoy it. But there's something about marrying the words to the music that I'm just having such trouble with. So the one song that I did manage to write it's called The Verdant Mile, and it actually came about, it was 2004, two years after Dave Carter died, and I was like, all right, it's been two years, it's time for Tracy to step out, I need to write some songs, I'm going to get started. And plus, I had a lot of feelings then, I was two years fresh, you know, still with the grieving, and so I was feeling a lot of things and thought a song might be a helpful way to deal with that. So I wrote all these verses, and I wrote a chorus that I thought worked pretty well. 
but I just could not convince myself that it was really a song. And what happened was I was touring with a wonderful multi-instrumentalist by the name of Jim Henry at the time. After a show, Jim Henry and I were sitting around and maybe we were drinking some wine or something. And I actually shared with him this song. I never played my songs for anyone, but I guess I was just, you know, a little tipsy and feeling like, why not? And and so I played for him what I had of the Verdant Mile and several other starts also. And he listened. And then we parted ways. I was living in Portland, Oregon, and he was in Shutesbury, Massachusetts. But then a couple days later in the mail, I got a CD and it was Jim Henry singing my song. And basically what he did was he edited it a little bit and threw in a couple of really cool chords and sent me my song back. And when I heard him singing it, I realized, hey, that sounds like a song. (laughs) And then I realized, hey, those are my words. He did it. You know, I, I mean, I basically had the whole thing, but it just needed a little bit of shaping. And he did that for me. And that's how I ended up with the song. I'm not sure I could have ever convinced myself that it was worthy just sitting in a room, you know, playing it for the cat. I mean, she certainly doesn't tell me one way or the other. So it was really good to have that feedback. So I offer that up to people if you're having trouble, you know, if you think you've got something nearly done, maybe have someone else sing it back to you and you'll find out it's better than you thought. Well, this one is great. And so I think we'll play it to take us out for today's Song of the Soul. The Verdant Mile, clearly the aftermath of your life making music together with Dave Carter. It seems to me a very great promise of a lot of good music to still come from Tracy Grammer. It's been so good to have you here today. I'm so glad we could nail down a time in our schedules after more than a year of chasing around (laughs) your violin, your voice, and I think your words are a gift to us. Thanks for sharing them all for Song of the Soul. Mark, thank you so much for having me. It's been fun. The Verdant Mile by Tracy Grammer. I didn't want to burn like this so close to the bone. No muscle left to carry it. There's black bag of stones. It's a black bag. But there's no sign of you There's no sign And so I walk this burdened mile of memory with you Gentle arms of Eden and the mountain Get me through Well, Richard says It's just a dream I don't really know It's everything and nothing When the spirit cracks the sky The flowers fold and go to sea No one questions why
love the sound of blackbirds in the trees I sit alone and wish that maybe one of you would visit me But no matter how much seed I hang, what prayer I call out I cannot bring that burden from the field and make an angel come around out Tracy Grammer's Song of the Soul with the song that she wrote and performed, The Verdant Mile. If you want to track down and hear more of Tracy Grammer's and Dave Carter's wonderful music, the place to head is tracygrammer.com. T-R-A-C-Y-G-R-A-M-M-E-R.com. Or maybe it's simplicity itself to just follow the link I have at northernspiritradio.org, where I also invite you to post a comment on this show. There's a lot more of their music I have yet to hear, but I give a particularly strident three thumbs up to Little Blue Egg. How do you spell awesome folk music? T-R-A-C-Y-G-R-A-M-M-E-R dot com. And I'll see you next week for Song of the Soul. The theme music for Song of the Soul is by Chris Williamson, and it's called Song of the Soul. My name is Mark Helpsmeet, and this is a Northern Spirit Radio production. You can listen to this program again, track down the list of songs included, and a whole lot more on my website, northernspiritradio.org. And I invite you to share your Song of the Soul with my listeners. Just contact me via my website. And please, join me weekly for Song of the Soul. You can be happy, let in the light, it will heal you. And you can feel you and sing out a song of the soul.